Romans, as we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans, uh, we uh, watched as the Bible describes sinners. Now, he's mainly describing Gentiles. Um, that's us. But what we're going to see is that nobody escapes the, uh, uh, the, the problem with sin. Um, you, you may not be doing what other people are doing, but your heart has a lot of sin in it. So uh, sin has many faces. There are, um, there's fornication, as we said last week, covetousness, envy, murder, pride, and a hundred more. Sin has lots of different faces. But what we learned last week is sin has two things about it. One is it is an attempt to live without God. It's a, it's a decision to turn your back on God and live any way you think you want. And what I remember being a 14, 15, 16-year-old uh, young man was I thought I was living my own life. I thought I was free doing my own things, and I came to find out I was a puppet. And I was following my friends, and they would tell me what to do. And really, I didn't know there was a spiritual battle going on where the devil was trying to cloud my mind and, and, and um, blind me to the destiny that I was headed for because sin has an, a, a result and it's death. The Bible says there is judgment coming. So what's funny is it's, it's trying to get people to admit they're a sinner, but there's another group. And there's, these are the people who try to exclude themselves from being in trouble with God. They are called self-righteous. They're people who think they're good and they're not sinners like other people. So chapter 2 comes along and it warns against being so quick to judge people because they sin, because they are not as good as you. So chapter 2 is written to people who believe that they were good, upstanding, holy living people and they definitely were not sinners like other people. They thought that they were guaranteed to go to heaven when they died. I don't know which is worse, if I could be honest with you. I don't know if talking to somebody, if being self-righteous and not needing God and thinking you're so good and that you don't need to repent, I don't know if that's worse, or thinking that you're absolutely no good at all and figure there's no reason to repent because God would never accept you anyway. I don't know which is worse. But I guess what I figured out is self-righteousness is one of the worst sins in the lot. So let's go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's pick this up and we'll hear Paul after he's going through verse 32. You're in chapter 2. Look back in verse 31. Listen to how strong the words are. Who knowing the judgment of God, and people do. People have a conscience. They know they're in trouble. That they which commit such things are worthy of death and the wages of sin is always death. Not only do they do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. So he's already talking to a group of people who love to sin. They're sinners. It's their nature. You ever wonder, why do people get drunk and at 3 a.m. in the morning, they're throwing up all over the street? Why do they go home and wonder, what did they do the night before? That's their nature. And so what the problem is, when we come to chapter 2, anyone in the world who doesn't get drunk, who's never vomited and found themselves under the table somewhere, can look down on them and say, oh, they're sinners and I'm not. That's what Paul's going to address here in these first 11 verses. So... Um, let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And the question is, who do you think you are? Verse 1 says this, Therefore thou, now that's a strong, he's talking to one. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking to the reader. 
thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, that, what's the word? That judges. For wherein thou judges another, thou condemnest thyself. You're actually condemning yourself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. So who do you think you are? Uh, there are obvious sinners. We just, last week we read through the list. It was quite a list. And then there are those who are what I call arrogant sinners, self-righteous sinners. And just like it's inexcusable, if somebody steals your wallet, if somebody robs your car, if somebody breaks into your house, there's no excuse. I don't have compassion on somebody who's breaking and entering. I don't have compassion on somebody who violates somebody else's life. But here, somebody who is sitting in judgment of all these sinners, they also are without excuse. They are inexcusable. Did you ever try and offer an excuse to the garter for why you were speeding? I had a friend who was a sergeant. He just died in, in, in the New Jersey uh, police department. He was a state trooper, which meant this. He was on the highways to stop speeders. So he'd be driving along and... <laughs> And he'd turn around and turn on the lights and he'd go pull them off. The most fun time was listening to everybody's excuse of why they were speeding. But he had one time where he said, I throw up my hands. This woman was pulled over going like 15 or 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. He stopped her and he always asked, he says, do you know how fast you're going? <laughs> Which is kind of a stupid thing. And she said, yes, officer. He said, do you realize that's, that's wrong? And she said, yes. But officer, I've got diarrhea. He says, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> She had an excuse, okay? <laughs> you ever make an excuse for why your report wasn't written in school? We always try to come up with excuses and try to explain why I did something that I shouldn't do or that I didn't do what I should do. The Bible says we have no excuse when we face the judgment of God. Write that down. We have no excuse. So we come along and... Uh, we, we, we make the mistake of judging sinners because it's dangerous. Now, I'm going to talk to you about there is right judgment, but there's arrogant judgment that we're good at that we shouldn't be. Take your Bible. I want you to go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. You're in Romans. We'll come back to it, but we got some scriptures to look up this morning. <clears throat> Luke 18, verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 11. I should start in verse 9 <laughs> when I get my right position here. Luke 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in, not God, but in themselves that they were righteous. And they, what's the next word? And they despised others. What's the problem? Shouldn't you want to be right? Shouldn't you try to live right? But the problem comes where you think you are right and you're despising other people who you believe to be wrong. He goes on, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He wasn't praying with God. He was praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, would you take a note for a minute of all the good things this guy's doing? He's praying. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's good. He's a religious man. He's working very hard at obeying the laws of God. He's a confident man. He's confident in himself and in his religion. 
He's a teacher of law. He's a Pharisee, which means he teaches people the Bible and the law. He's a thankful man. Do you hear him? I thank thee. All right. You see all the good things he's able to do? He's a fasting man. He's self-controlled. He's able to say no to food. Hey, we need to work on that sometimes. Not today, though. He's a tithing man. He gave away 10% of anything that ever came into his pocket. And he's a separated man. Not like so many other men were. He was separated. I'm not like all those other people. Sounds like a pretty good man, doesn't he? That's what he sounds like. Then we meet the publican, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not, so lift, not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast. I mean, the, the, the anguish is so much that he's trying to hurt himself. And he smote upon his breast, uh, saying, God, be merciful to me. What does he admit? A sinner. That good, that good living Pharisee was left to himself. Jesus then focuses on this publican. Watch it. A publican was a traitor to his own people. It'd be like living in 1915, and in 1915, going from door to door and collecting taxes to give to the British government. You imagine the most hated person in the, in the estate at that day. That's what this guy did. He was a Jew taking money from, uh, he was a Jew taking money from the Jews to give to the Romans. He was a tax collector and everybody hated him. He was a greedy capitalist. He made huge, a huge cut off of all the taxes that came in for the Roman government. He was a bully. He would come with soldiers with him. He would force people, even if he had to kick them out of their house, yeah, he could force them to give over their money to give to the Romans. He was alone hated by everybody he's an honest man he admitted that he was a wicked sinner and he was a desperate man he cried out don't condemn me like I deserve do you see two different hearts you see that one one definitely is a good living man one one is doing wrong but what does God see the heart you see there's nothing wrong with a Pharisee doing all that he's doing. It's not wrong to tithe. It's not wrong to, to fast. It's not wrong to pray. But his problem was his view of himself. Will you think that for a second? Was his view of himself, his pride, his self-righteousness, and that is what damned him. You say, does murder damn? No. You're already in trouble with God because of what you are. You are a sinner. But as long as you ignore who you are, the heart will condemn you. His problem was that he didn't think he was a bad guy. While that sinful publican, look at what it says there in verse uh, 14. I tell you, this man, this sinful man, this publican went down to his house justified. You ever hear the word meaning of the word justified? Just as if I'd never sinned. He was pardoned. It wasn't that he didn't sin, but God wiped his record free away. It was no longer held against him. He went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone that exalted himself, no matter how good or how sinful, is going to be dumped, going to be abased, going to be brought low. And he that humble himself shall be exalted. Which way do you see yourself? There's only, that's how God looks at us, although one or the other, there's no spectrum. Now verse 2, back in Romans. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. The problem with self-righteousness is you don't see your own sin. 
2 verse 2. But we are sure. Now again, in verse 1 he says, be careful about you judging everybody and despising everybody. Verse 2, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Who's right to judge? God is. You know, it's funny in this day and age, the world won't even allow God to judge. They, they, they're so caught up in Christians being judgmental and we got to fix that. We're just, the world is so caught up in Christians being hypocrites, they, they, they want to do away with the fact that God is right to judge, and he will. So God's judgment is spot on. As a matter of fact, it's very serious. God is judge of all. He's a judge of everybody in Ireland and everybody in Tahiti. He's judged of everybody all over this world. Every race, language, culture, people, nation, tribe, whether you like it or not, he's judge. He will judge, too. He will judge. No one ever gets away with murder. Somebody says, Why, you know, uh, how come Hitler was able to do all that? Well, believe me, he's paying for it now. Don't you forget, I wonder why some people are still alive. I wonder, and I, it just bothers me. I say, God, why don't you deal with him? And God says, I will. He will judge all. And he will judge rightly. God's judgment is never wrong. Jesus was right to say, this wicked, sinful man, this publican, is now forgiven, and that good man is damned. See, when he makes a decision like that, he's not arbitrary. He's just not, he's not cruel or unjust. He's right. He will judge rightly. He knows everything you don't know. See, I don't know what you're going through. That's why a court sits down and looks at the extenuating circumstances of why somebody does something, because they want to know, do we have compassion? Is there a reason why this had to happen? God knows us, and he will judge rightly. So we need to talk about what is self-righteousness. We talk about somebody who's self-righteous, the first thing is it's an attitude. It was primarily, when Romans chapter 1 is written, it's primarily written to Gentiles who now are saved. But wow, what wickedness and sin have they been saved out of? Now he's going to write to the Jews who are looking down on these Gentiles saying, oh, these are sinners. How can we allow them in our church? These are wicked people, are or were. So he says, uh, uh, he says, be careful about judging because self-righteousness is an attitude it's believing that you're better than other people more holy self-righteousness is a is a way of thinking a state of mind in which a person believes they're morally superior to others and that they're exempt from the same standards of behavior that they expect from others you ever notice that with with the government here's somebody last year at, at the world economic forum and devos and all that stuff i think there were like 120 Private jets that flew in, and what did they talk about? Climate change. What do we call that? Hypocrisy. They want the rest of us to swim. <laughs> and yet they get to fly on their own terms and put all this carbon into the atmosphere that they're complaining about. We call that evil. Now here's the point. They see us as the problem. I always worry about people like um, uh, Ted Turner, who says the world would be a great place if only 700 million people lived on it. You see, he'd be one of them. That's the arrogance of self-righteousness. You think you don't have to be examined and you don't have to be judged because you're already superior. The Jews believed that because they were descendants of Abraham, it meant that they had a special dispensation or a special favor with God that made them a superior race above all races spiritually. 
The fact is, as the nation of Israel is in a special place. But that doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't mean that they're going straight to heaven when they die. They go to hell just like anybody. Self-righteousness is a, is, is a constant justifying of itself and its own sins. You know what a self-righteous attitude does? We blame others. You ever talk to somebody who's a drunkard? You, you don't know the women I'll, I've lived with. Yeah, yeah. You see, as long as you don't take responsibility for your own sin, you're self-righteous. Does that make sense? Never taking responsibility will always see its wrongdoings as slight or small in comparison to others. It's called the telescope effect. A telescope's got two, two lenses. If you look from the big lens toward the little lens, everything seems so small and so far away. You look through the small lens, through like it's supposed to be a telescope, you'll see everything big and up close. You know, we happen to always look at other people through the, the telescope at the small end. I can see every fault in everybody. But when we come to our own fault, we turn the telescope around and say, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that big. That's self-righteousness. It is pride. It is believing in one's superiority in their talents. Oh, somebody can really play. Oh, somebody's an important person. Oh, somebody gives a lot of money. We can't upset them. That's self-righteousness. They're hung up on their beauty, their wealth, their accomplishments, their rank, or their office. They walk around with lofty airs, being distant from most people and often in contempt of others. They're satisfied with themselves and with their ability. You know what honest men are? We know we're a mess. Honest men know we're full of failures, amen? It's a miracle any of us get married because I don't know how a woman overlooks it. But you see, a self righteous person says come on honey i'm god's gift <laughs> that's self-righteousness it's pride you know it gets worse it's not caring about what god thinks see self-righteous people don't care about their own actual spiritual condition and even their criminal record in god's record book they close their eyes to their own sins and only see the sins of others that is a problem wouldn't you agree and ends up where self-righteous people have no compassion you know who has compassion? Somebody who's fallen. You know who talks best to somebody struggling with an addiction? Is an addict who got saved and got free and knows exactly how they feel and can talk straight up. It's hard for me to talk to them, not that I'm superior, but I, don't, I can't connect. I don't know what they're going through, but somebody who's been down that path can talk to them and can love them and have compassion on them. Whereas somebody who's never picked up a drink, never had trouble with alcohol, looks down on somebody, well, that, that poor sinner can't, can't, can't come into our church. He's a sinner. Really? That's pride. It's not caring what God sees in us. And according to the Bible, we just read it, it is a self-condemning sin. You won't let anybody else do it. You better let God do it. Go back there in verse 1, still in Romans chapter 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. What did my mom tell you? Tell me that when you're pointing at somebody, what are the other three fingers doing? Pointing right back at me. He says, uh, thou condemnest thyself, for thou, do it, thou that judges doeth the same things. It's a self-condemning sin. You know, uh, that's the point of all of this, this chapter here. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. <coughs> Verse 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. This is the most loved verse in the Bible. <laughs> Probably one of the most quoted if you're an atheist or if you don't believe the Bible. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't they wish that it would stop right there? Now, Jesus didn't stop there. It goes on, doesn't it? Now, it's general advice, but verse 2 says, For with what judgment ye judge, you're going to be judged. And with what measure ye meet, meet, M-E-T-E is a, is a meter, is measuring it out, it shall be measured to you again. So if you start noticing all the sin going on, you better take a good look at your own home and your own heart and your own mind. Nothing wrong with being observant and seeing trouble. But when you only see trouble in everyone else and not in yourself, you are self-righteous. Look at verse 3. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? I think this is very cute. But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Now a mote was a tiny little splinter, a speck. Why are you looking at that speck in thy brother's eye, but you don't consider there's a beam in your own eye? Can you imagine going to a ophthalmologist or an eye doctor or spec savers and the guy comes out got this beam sticking in his eye or he sees he's got two patches on his eyes and he's feeling around saying I'll, I'll help your eyesight <laughs> no he's got to get his own eyesight fixed before he tries to help yours amen he says verse 4 or oh, how wilt thou say to thy brother let me pull out pull out the moat out of thine eye and behold a beam is in thine own eye should you try to help people Somebody's got a splinter or a speck in their eye, and they say, please, please help. Shouldn't you try to help them? Somebody's struggling with bitterness. Somebody's struggling with pornography. Somebody's struggling with drink or drugs. Shouldn't you help them? But despising them is the problem. And thinking that you're not like them is the problem. And that's what, because the Jews had this idea, we're not like Gentiles. Really? You're made, your skin is different color, your size, shape, your nose may be all different, but your heart is the same, amen? So verse 5 says, thou hypocrite. Who's talking there? Who calls judges, people who judge other people and despise other people, who calls them hypocrite? These are words of Jesus. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. So yes, we should judge. I should be able to see where the problem is. I should be able to help them. But I must first look at myself. So go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 now. There are loads of examples of self-righteous people in the Bible. <clears throat> I'll mention just a few here. Matthew 23, 25. Matthew 23, 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you may clean the outside of the cup of the platter and of the platter but within they are full of extortion and excess you ever gone over to the sink and pull a cup out of the drain the, the the draining rack and it's beautiful clean on the outside and you look inside and there's something growing <laughs> you see it's deceptive on the outside and jesus said you guys clean up all on the outside and you look so good and you look so holy so clean but you are full of death remember david <clears throat> he's just committed adultery he has just tried to cover it up and had uh, uh bathsheba's husband murdered and he's living the lie and he's not worried at all until nathan shows up and begins to point out you're the man and all for those nine months david has been living the hypocrite life the self-righteous life that he thought 
my sin wasn't that bad. See, Christians are not exempt from being self-righteous. <clears throat> oh, atheists, they'll tell you they're more superior, morally superior to God. They'll say, oh, the God of the Bible, he's so cruel, he's so unjust. Well, who made you judge? I'm really amazed at how many atheists think they're morally superior to God. That's called self-righteousness. But then they're the Christians. <clears throat> Christians who only have itching ears today. They want to be scratched. They want their pet doctrines preached. They want their conspiracy theories honored. That is why that so many churches are full of people and they will never hear the gospel. They will never come under conviction. They will, they will never hear about hell. They will never learn that they've got to live the Christian life because it's all about them. It's all about making them feel good about themselves. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to be told they're doing wrong and need to repent. Large churches today are built upon self-help, self-righteousness, and self-gratification. If you're not happy at church, you should leave. That's what they believe. Oh, try that with your marriage. Amen? Try that with your kids. I am leaving. Mom's out of here. <laughs> try it. And yet we do it all the time in churches. You know what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says? Go there. Go way back to the back. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 7.14. Not 2 Corinthians. 2 Chronicles. I'll give you 10 minutes to find it. <laughs> 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If the world, is that who it's written to? If sinners, is that what it says? No. If my people, which are called by my name, forget about everyone else. If my people shall humble themselves and pray, watch that word humble, and seek my face, figure out you don't even, you haven't even been looking at his face. You haven't even been looking at his direction. You've been looking at the world. If they will seek my face. And what's the word? turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven will forgive their sin will heal their land Christians God's people we get so enamored by the world we think the more sin we tolerate the more sin we get involved in and we think it's okay and it's okay and God's crying out you walked away from me and you don't even care folks he comes up to um, verse 3 back there in Romans Romans chapter 2, verse 3, he says, worry about your attitude, dear Christian and friend listening. Romans chapter th 2 and verse 3. Now thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things? The list in chapter 1 is pretty extensive. You're judging all them that do such things and doest the same and that, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's one of the best verses in the Bible. Why? Because God's goodness towards you is so undeserved. And just because he hasn't killed you yet <laughs> doesn't mean that he approves of what you're doing. It's just God being kind. You say, why is it that so-and-so, that so, they got a new job, and so-and-so, so, their health is good? Why is it so-and-so? So? I don't know. It's just God's goodness. But I think God's being good to you, too. 
So worry about your attitude towards people who sin. Now, I understand being disgusted at sin. I understand that. Better be careful about being disgusted at sinners. But, but for the grace of God, that could be you, amen? We should never be, we should not ever be comfortable with sin going on around us. But how do you view people who live in rebellion to God? Don't just pity, love them. Jesus loved sinners, didn't he? Publicans and harlots. It's easy to decide that sinners deserve God's judgment. Well, what about yourself? You've probably convinced yourself you're different than others. You probably do all the same things they do, just nobody knows about it. Or you do it to a different degree. The Bible says we are wicked. I don't care how good you think you are, God sees you as you really are. And what is your attitude about the goodness of God? Look what he does in verse 4. He says, do you despise the riches of the goodness and the forbearance and the long-suffering of God, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? The fact that God is not actively punishing you every time you sin is proof that God is kind. I mean, wouldn't you like, hey, I've had different employers, different bosses, and I really like the bosses who didn't hammer me every time I did something wrong. God is good. You know, you hear the word forbearance. Forbearance means God's waiting. He's delaying his judgment. To forbear means he's struggling. Not that God struggles, but it's hard on him waiting to judge. Long-suffering means that God is patient with you, putting up with all your foolishness and your sins. You know, we need to stop thinking the government needs to be good to us. We need to stop thinking about the world being good to us or our friends. We need to start noticing God is very good to us. So God expects you and I, no matter how religious we may be living, to repent. Who's he telling to repent? Chapter 1, don't you agree? Fornicators, adulterers, covetous, murderers, they should repent, amen? But self-righteous should too. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, that goodness, the very fact that God brought you here to this church today is that God needs you to repent. God is demanding that you see yourself as a sinner and he expects you to repent, even though you haven't been caught, you haven't been exposed, you haven't been humiliated or judged yet. Guess what? When you stand before God one day, it'll be too late to repent. Oh, you'll repent then over and over and over and over and it won't be, it'll be too late. How's your heart? Do you despise God being good to you? Do you constantly say, well, it's not good enough? You ever said that? You're being nicer to other people. I don't know how anyone could despise God's goodness and his kindness, and yet people do. You know, people abuse the grace of God just because God gave us free will. Boy, do they abuse it, and they refuse to repent. The test to you would be this morning is how interested we are in knowing what God thinks of our life instead of what we think about it. If you barely come to church, if you never read through your Bible, if you never worry about the sins you have become comfortable with, then you need to be worried. Because what you'll end up with is a hard, look at verse 5, and an impenitent heart. After thy hardness and impenitent heart, 
treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Our problem is our heart. Not our money, not our job, not our health. We, listen, chapter 1 talks about the heart of, of, of sinners who walk away from God and look what they end up loving. I mean, the kind of love that's described in chapter 1 can't be talked about, and yet it's lived now. But we come to chapter 2, the heart of a self-righteous is just as wicked. It's a heart problem. A hard heart is the worst kind of heart to have. Impentant, it simply means they won't repent. They won't bend, they won't yield, they won't agree with God. It's stuck on itself. Won't listen to anything outside of its own world. So we call that a cult, don't we? Somebody who's so stuck that you try to show them something, they go, no, 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 I was born this way, I'm going to die this way. That's a cult. Try and love someone who's got a hard heart towards you. Try it. It's hard, isn't it? That's why God, he finds it hard to love. He does, but he's finding it hard to love and somebody's got a hard heart towards him. By the way, a hard heart only grows harder the longer you go without repenting. The best thing you need to do is every time you come into this door and you're shaking hands is get a moment and you say, Lord, if the pastor says anything, if that Bible says anything that points out some sin in my life, I know I'm good at pointing out the sins in my wife's life, <laughs> but if there's anything in my life, help me to repent right then and there. That's what you pray. Because why else do we come to church? Except to keep our hearts soft. There may come a time, and God warns about it, there may come a time where you won't be able to repent. You've crossed a line and the heart has gotten so hard that there is no hope. I know, I do not know when that will happen, but it could happen where you just find to walk away and there's no conscience, no grief, no sorrow. You don't care and your heart is hard as an adamant stone, the Bible says, and I'd be terrified of that day because there's no hope then. So the emphasis is you're in trouble too. Looking again in verse 5, after thy hardness and impendent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Do you really believe you can escape the judgment of God even though you think you're so good? John the Baptist, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, flee, <laughs> run for your lives. The wrath of God is coming. And he's speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus said to the same group of Pharisees, clean living, good living Pharisees, he said, snakes, serpents, vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? He's talking to good people. What do you do when you think you're so good? You're not treasuring up your rewards. The Bible says you're treasuring up wrath. Isn't that a crazy thing? I mean, I, when I was growing up, I collected coins and stamps. I collected bugs. They were dead. <clears throat> Uh, you know, I collected all kinds of things. But what a fool would be collecting wrath. You're treasuring up, you're enjoying the fact this stuff is building up, building up, and one day it will turn against you in eternity. The truth is, it will catch up with you. God's wrath will catch up with, with you one day. I have to describe here and define for you repentance. When he says he's leading you to repentance, you've got to understand what that means. Because it is unknown by 90% of the world and it's misunderstood by the other 10. Repentance is sorrow. Not just being sorry. I can say I'm sorry, can't I? How many of you had a brother and your mom says, say you're sorry, I'm sorry. 
Until next time. It is sorrow for what you've done against God's laws, against people, against yourself. It's feeling grief for the wrongs done. It is surrender to the rightness of God, of God's way of living. It is surrender where you say, I'm a fool. I'm now going to do it God's way. I'm going to, whatever God says, I'll do. Had a guy come into, when I was preaching in, in Mallow, he came in, it was Sunday morning, and he already had the smell of alcohol on him, and he basically came in, he says, if I become a Christian, do I have to give up a drink? I looked at him, and he says, you become a Christian, you're supposed to do whatever Jesus says do. And he went, oh, that's great, and he walked out. <laughs> but it's true. I don't have a list of do's and don'ts. I have one, follow Jesus. Amen? Repentance is surrender to say, whatever God says I'm going to do, that's repentance. It's also stopping all the excuses and the defenses that we have. If you really are repentant, you'll accept that you're wrong, and you'll own it. It is also a choice. All of these work at one time that turns my attention away from sin, away from the world, and I'm now looking unto Jesus. I'm now looking unto God. And that's it. You see, repentance is you not stopping sinning. Now, that's a stupid idea. I guess if I repent, I'll stop sinning. Well, you would need to get saved then. Repentance is you not stopping anything. Repentance is you turning around saying, I don't want to go that way anymore. I'm sorry. I'm grieved by how stupid I've been. I've wasted my life. I've wasted my years. I want to be saved. That bit of, of humility saves. My my. Repentance does not save. It now has made me soft enough to be saved. Question is, who needs to repent? I'll show you two quick scriptures. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 10. Matthew 9 and verse 10. And came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. I want you to go back to verse 9. I want you to see whose house he's in. Verse 9 says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. What was Matthew? A tax collector, a publican. Oh, he's that lowlife. He's that sinner. Sitting at the receipt of custom. He's there making in the, cashing in the cash, making the dough. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Luke says he, he arose and he left it all. Verse 10, it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in Matthew's house is where he is. Behold, guess what kind of crowd Matthew hung with, hanged with, hung with, hanged around with? Who hung around Matthew? Look at it. Other publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? He's in their midst. Verse 12, when Jesus heard that, you know, he can hear a whisper. He said unto them, they that be whole, they that are healthy, need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that scripture meaneth. I will have mercy. I want to have mercy. I don't want sacrifice. I don't want all the lambs and the the, the goats and the oxen, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, these are the people I came to save. Isn't that cool? 
Now, I got news for you. If you got a new Bible, that last few words is missing in it. If you got these newer Bibles, not a new, new Bible, but a new version of the Bible, they get rid of the word repentance. God calls sinners to repent. The answer is the sick soul needs to repent. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Go to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. How many of you read about or heard about? Who has not heard about Turkey? I mean, that nation's a Muslim nation. That, that nation's a, a uh, especially in that area, they put all the poor people along that fault line. I always, I always wonder how politicians live with themselves or sleep at night. They put all those poor people into high-rise apartments on a fault line that every 10 years shakes at least a 6.0 and 7.0 on the register. And here it is again, 30-some-odd thousand people dead. I'll show you something here. Luke and look in Luke chapter 13. Once I get there. Verse 1, there, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate had slaughtered some Jewish people up in Galilee and made a mockery of, the, of their sacrifices. Verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? You see somebody go through a horrible thing. It's easy to go, oh, they must have deserved it. Verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent. He's talking to the people who had not been affected by that disaster. He said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish horribly. Verse 4, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. 18 people died because a tower fell on them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Do you think those 30 some odd thousand people who died over there in Turkey and Syria were sinners worse than you? You better get that fixed. Because it's easy to go, I wonder if they deserved it. The truth is, we all deserve it. And unless we repent, we will all likewise horribly perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not there's that word. Well, likewise, you want to die a horrible death? Live without God. Except ye repent. That's why the, Paul, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 17, the times of this ignorance God winked at, he closed his eyes to, let people not keep the law perfectly and still go on, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Everybody needs to repent. Because we all get what we deserve. Back to Romans and we'll finish this up. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 again. Well, we'll start in yeah, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, you will reap what you sowed. To whom? To them who by patient continuing in well-doing Seek for glory and honor and immortality. Guess what they get? Eternal life. But of them that are contentious, that's argumentative, and do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness, they get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone that worketh good to the Jew first 
and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Slam. Paul is talking to Jews saying, at the judgment day, when you stand before God, it is appointed a man once to die, and after the, the judgment, when you stand before him, he's not going to care whether you're a Jew or Gentile. He's going to know, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Because he's a savior, and your self-righteousness will always fall short. See, the truth is this. God rewards everyone according to his reaction to the word of God. Patient continuing in doing right means just doing the right thing continually. As to what's the right thing, God told us. You know, if anybody wants to do right, God will help you. Saved or lost, you want to do right, God will help you. And as you start to want to do right, you'll find out you can't. And then God will show you a verse that says, by his stripes we're healed. You see, when you start to go through the Bible, you'll become, you'll go through a cycle, you'll go through different seasons in your life and you'll be so self-righteous thinking oh i'm a good person look i do this and i do that and then you'll read through and you go oh, i'm a bad person boy i can't do this and i can't do that and you go through all that until you finally read through the bible and you find out jesus came to die for sinners and you go i've been wanting to do right and i found out i can't until he helps me and i need to get saved and that leads to eternal life isn't that good you're not going to ever get the gift of, of god until you read your bible what is the world removed from its libraries? What is the hardest thing to get people to ever look at? The Bible. God is going to reward you how you react to what this book says. There is the right reaction, which is to do whatever God says. And then there's the wrong reaction. And that is to do, to have contention, to not obey what is true, to obey unrighteousness, sin, and temptation. I'm going to say this. How many of you come every week and sit and hear what you and I are supposed to do and then never do it? That gets us in trouble because I'm trying to show you what the Bible says, right? And the Bible tells us what we should do. The Bible says that we're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. When we leave this, this room, we go outside that door. What are we supposed to say? Amen. So be it. I'm going to do it. Because wrong reaction gets us in trouble. You ever wonder why there's so much trouble in even Christians' lives? They're arguing with God. He goes on, he says, indignation, wrath, tribulation, anguish. And that's just because you disobeyed God. Not because you're a murderer, but because you turned your back on God and you start to live your own way. That's going to be trouble. Last thing, we get what we deserve unless we accept that Jesus got what we deserved. You ponder that for a moment. Do you realize without Jesus Christ, without the hope of the gospel, you and I have only the wrath of God to face. And it's right. It's not that God's wrong, God's right. But then we found out that somebody else came along and he got what we deserve. Do you understand that? That's the gospel. What is Paul doing in the book of Romans? He's laying the foundation. He's laying out all the most important truths, and that is no matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are, you're never going to be good enough to just go straight into heaven. You need to repent and believe the gospel. Somebody was good. Somebody was perfect and willingly substituted his life for ours. And when you accept that he got what you and I deserve, when you accept that, you've accepted the gift of eternal life. Isn't that awesome? 
say, well, where do I have to go get baptized? Didn't say that. Well, where do I join the church? Didn't say that. Well, what do I have to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. First John, you can leave Romans. First John, almost to Revelation. If you get to the maps, you've gone too far. First John chapter two and verse one. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. So why is the Bible written? So I have victory over sin. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the who? The righteous. And he is the propitiation, we'd say the full payment for our sins. Not for somebody else's, but our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. Us pagan, wicked Gentiles get saved and go right into heaven ahead of all the religious Jews and good, good living Mormons and holy Catholics. Why? Because he's my propitiation, not my church. He's the reason why I'm forgiven, not my own holiness. You see, the truth is this. Good people are not guaranteed a safe place, a, a place in heaven because there's none good. Good people are not guaranteed a place in heaven. But us honest sinners, and I'm trying to put you in the same thing. So you've been honest with God. You said, I am a sinner. I mean, I'm a wicked sinner. I mean, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. You start there, you're on your way. Honest sinners can jump the queue and go straight in. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love jumping the queue. I hate coming to some place and there's 55 people ahead of me. And then somebody says, oh, save the place. Come up here. I love jumping the queue. Amen. And I don't have to be good now. I don't have to be as good as a Jew. And the Jews were pretty good living people. Pharisees were especially. I can jump the queue. I can go straight in because of Jesus. Do you understand that? That's where churches have gone wrong. They've made their church the way. They've made their, their creed the way. They've made their lifestyle the way. No, no, no. Jesus is the way. People just need to know that they're in trouble with God. And all it takes is for a sinner, no matter how few sins or how many they're drowning in, if they are tired of sin, if you are tired of living empty, you know, you're looking to your heart and there's no God, there's no, there's no joy. Uh, you have happiness and you get, you get the drink, you get some money, and it's, but it passes like sand through the fingers. If you'd be tired of sin in yourself and you would turn unto Jesus, Break down, admit you're wrong and sinful, and then ask, guess what? Jesus will save. Dear Christian, we need to examine our heart and make sure we easily repent. We easily repent when we've been shown that we've done wrong. If my people, it's God's people, shall humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, that's when I'll hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Stand in bound prayer with me, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just give you an invitation. You can um, you can make this day your birthday, your spiritual birthday. I was saved on a Sunday evening, 15th of June, 1980. I made that my spiritual birthday. It's far better than your first birthday because your first birthday, man, 
gets old. You get old. But your second birthday never gets old. If you'd like to get saved today, all you got to do is talk to God. He's not very far from any one of you. He is kind and good to you, not because he particularly likes you more than anybody else. It's not because he's impressed with you. It's not because he sees all the good in your life. He's being kind and gentle to you because he's waiting for you to repent. I wonder how long he'll wait. I wouldn't push it because God does have a limit. And I wouldn't like to have to do funeral. I wouldn't like to think that somebody had a chance to get saved and they missed it for the last time today. Say, why do you always push that? Because what else is there? This isn't about theology. This is about Christ and you and you getting your heart cleansed and washed and starting over with him as your Savior. Father, I pray that you would bless what we've heard today. And we do need to look at our attitude about how we see other people and how we see people sin differently than we do. And, and it's wrong. And our society needs to be rebuked and all the things that they've gotten comfortable with. But I need to be rebuked. I need to rebuke myself as I read the Bible of all the things that I'm comfortable with and that I give myself liberty to get away with that I would never let somebody else get away with. We are hypocrites, Lord. No matter how saved we are, our heart is tending to, to sin. So may we never look at somebody and despise them. Lord, may we have compassion on them like you've had compassion on us. May we forgive as you have forgiven us. And Lord, may we always come with a heart that says, God, whatever you want to deal with me about, do it and I'll get right because that's my job. I can't let my heart get hard anymore. I want it to be soft because you're, you're worthy, God. You earned my attention. You earned my life and I give it to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing.